Hey, strangers, welcome to a new episode of the Strange Sessions season five official first episode. You if you're if you got this far, you know, we did a pre-show episode that Kurt and I just recorded like five minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) And now we're recording the next episode. So I feel like I haven't talked to you in like five minutes. It's been a while. (laughs) Jim came down in between the two and he was coveting uh, the Yeti cap. Yes. That Krista got as a gift. So good. He tried it on. It, it looks good. good on him. <laughs> good on he him. can't have it. Nope. It's mine. Gotta hide it. And also the cute knit hat, handmade from knit Taryn. hat. From so Taryn. Thank you so much, Taryn. And our dagger. And our dagger. And our pickles. I won't be able to use today for our taste test. That'd be a little aggressive. <laughs> it's in a can, so you'd puncture the can. <laughs> I'm going to shotgun whatever <laughs> we're testing. I don't know if you want to shotgun this. Probably not a good idea. <laughs> I'm not going to shotgun anything. I'm just saying. Oh, we got to hang that up. The googly-eyed yes. bacon and eggs. Um, Sorry. Squirrel moment. Uh, Yeah, I feel like this is so weird to start a new episode when we just had an episode. I know. This kind of throws me off. A little bit. Yeah. Um, We literally got done with the episode. We both peed and we're back now <laughs> to start this new episode. Just a look inside the world of an exciting world of a podcast. Exciting world of the strange sessions. We each had a Mary Jim Jane. Jim came down. Yeah, we each had a Mary Jane, the candy, not anything else. Jim had a sandwich that made me really hungry. Yeah, Jim came down. <laughs> Loved all of our stuff that we got. Oh, he left. All right. I love Jim. I really do. He's just such a good guy. I mean, I'll keep him. Yeah, keep him for now. He's such a good guy. So should we (laughs) move on to... We don't have any new strangers to welcome because we literally just did that in our last episode. Nobody's joined in the last five minutes. Actually, one person did join. We'll save that for the next one. Um... Yeah, somebody, that's weird that somebody... We did. have no housekeeping because we literally just recorded an uh, episode. Playing about Sorry. the weather. No, it went no, up. It hasn't snowed in the last five minutes. going to come down tonight, though. such an awkward opening. I I know, apologize. because we just, <laughs> we just did an episode. Uh, and it's just weird. Like, we've have we done a back-to-back before? We have once. But we, we did, did the Christmas here. one, but it was... Yeah, we did the Christmas. Mm-hmm. But that was different. It was. Yeah, we got no housekeeping. We have no nothing. Should we just dive into the taste test? Uh, we got to make small talk about something. How are you oh, doing? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I am too. <laughs> Was there something that we were going to talk about last time that we mm. didn't? We're still going to work on the Patreon stuff. We're still figuring out what we're going to do. We love the idea of us watching a movie and then recording us talking, watching the movie. And then you guys can download yeah. it, listen to it like Mystery Science Theater. Mm-hmm. It's like you're watching the movie with us. Yep. And I've never seen Exorcist, so that one, that should be our first one. It should. It would be very appropriate. Yeah. I think we have to do Blair Witch just because we both love that movie. Have we talked about movies? <laughs> I watched Knives Out over break, and that was yeah. such a good movie. I watched The Queen's Gambit on Netflix. It's not a movie. It's a series, and yeah. it was amazing. So watch it if you're interested. Sorry, I, I, I know told, you got rid of I think I was told to watch that, oh, that it was so really good. good. Yeah, I watched Knives Out, and I really liked it. Did you see that one? Mm-mm. You did tell me about it or you sent me a preview yeah, or something. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah. It was like a murder mystery kind of thing and it was really good. I'm all in on Expedition Bigfoot, of course. Of course. First episode, like the first real episode was a really good. It was called Call and Response. And let's just say there was some call and response and it was really interesting. So response I was, always I was eating it up. Like, yeah. That's the, the Bigfoot. And I've never heard anything like it. I've watched a lot of these shows and I've never heard anything like what they heard. Nothing will creep me out like the samurai chatter. Oh, like the, yeah. The recorded <laughs> samurai chatter. Yeah. 
That is so creepy. But we are going to jump right into our taste test. Do it. Again, this is one that I just bought because I was like, oh, I really want to try that. Oh, I'm going to make Krista really try that when I try that. (laughs) I know who else I'd like to make try this. (laughs) You're not going to hate it. Good. Ooh. King's Brew Nitro Cold Brew Coffee. Maple. Maple Cold Brew Nitro Coffee. Uh, cold brew. So I'm excited I do about too. that. I'm going to take a picture. And of this. I love maple and I love coffee I love and maple I love too. nitro. <laughs> well, nitro is like a thing. It's yes. like nitro beer. It's well, like sh- if you buy um, a Guinness in yeah. a can, that's like a nitro. I love Guinness. Thing. I just love Guinness. That's my go to beer now a lot when I go to places. I like a black and tan, although I haven't black had one. Black and tans are good. Brazilian. Oh, so you got to shake it? It says on the top <laughs> shake hard. No. Shake twice. Shake twice, pour, pour hard. hard. Keep cold. Keep cold. Why only twice? I don't know. No, I probably overshook it, so Great. now it's going to suck. No, you're going to spray me with coffee. <laughs> okay, are you ready? Well, now, now, a, now you got now me scared. scared. Now you got me scared, so now I'm just going to let it... Surrounded by electronics. Electronics and... <laughs> after the story you read Yeah, after episode. the story about the shock, that's all you need is to have a near-death experience on our show. <laughs> the looks on our faces right now. Okay, okay. We did it. We survived. I yes, feel like I'm opening a beer. <laughs> oh, I wish. Oh, I can smell it already. Does it smell good? King's oh, Brew Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Maple Coffee. Oh, I'm so pumped about ready? this. I'm ready. That is not what I was expecting. That's not what I expected. It's not, it's not bad. It's just not. I wouldn't say it's good, though. Oh, no, I was just going to say <laughs> that. it's something n- really weird about it. Okay, it's not cold enough. I will say that it should no, be No, because colder. it's been sitting in my bag on the floor. It smells <laughs> It smells way better than it tastes. Yeah. The coffee is often like that, but I feel like Okay, the, coffee... the second sip is better. Like okay. once you I kind of want to make Jim come down here and taste this cuz he loves coffee too. Go get him get him to come down. I hair. It's doing it. The second sip is better because you're you know what to expect. I'm going to text him. We're going to have Jim come down for a taste test. I There's something that is missing that would make it really good. And I don't know what that is. Sweetness, maybe. Or cream. Possibly. Something needs to cut through it. Possibly. It's a little too bitter. But the second sip is better because you kind of know what you're... Oh, Krista said no. No, there's something about it that I don't like. I'm underwhelmed. I was expecting I'm it to be really good. I was, I was expecting when you get like those Starbucks. Yeah, and those are always really good. And they're I always love cold like coffee. sweet. Yeah, it's not like that. So we're gonna get Jim down here. He's gonna try it too. Yeah, we're gonna see what he thinks. What do you give it out of ten? I give it like a four. A four. You hate it that much? Yeah, and I love coffee. I give it a seven. I can taste the maple. That's fine. I don't know. I feel like when I get cold brew coffee. Even if it's not sweetened, there's something off-putting in the background of this. There is. There's something in the background of the... F- it's almost malty, and I don't no, there's like malty beer. It almost has like a liquor flavor to it that I don't like. It has. Yeah, it's something it, there's something in the, in the background. It has a very velvety mouthfeel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always hear does. people talk about that velvety mouthfeel, and it has oaky undertones. <laughs> Are we tasting wine right now? <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't know. It's just not what I expected. No, no. The smell makes it. 
Like if somebody it smells so much better. Than if somebody taste. bought it for me, I'd drink it, but I'm not going to buy it again There's myself. There's a smokiness, and maybe that's what I don't like, and maybe that's the maple. Is there like a smoky note that's throwing it off? There is, but it's weird because there's the coffee, there's the maple, but there's some taste in between there's the coffee the and the maple, and yeah. I don't know what that is. And it sits like at the back of your yes, tongue, and exactly. it's not good. No, it, it might be like a smokiness. Poor Jim, I'm making him come down yeah, to taste something really it. crappy, although maybe he'll like it. I don't know. He liked the moxie. Yeah, he did. I love the moxie. I want to get some more moxie. Just say now it a little louder like into the microphone. Someone's going to send it to you. I feel like we should wait for Jim to come down. No, it will be weird if we cut it in later. Yeah. Oh, I heard movement. Okay, Jim's here. Hi, Jim. We want you to taste this. <laughs> it's part of our taste test. It is cold brew nitro coffee maple. Sweet. And Smell we, it first. We want to see what you say. <laughs> you made a face. It's good. You like it? Mm-hmm. We both think there's something weird there's about like it. There's like a weird taste. There's like the the coffee and then there's the maple. You can and there's it. like a there's like a weird taste in there's between like a, the two yeah, of them. Yeah, there's like an an other taste somewhere that sits at the back of your tongue that's just not twice. right. Yeah. Oh, I shook it <laughs> yes. more than twice. Maybe it's cuz I shook it three Yeah, times. you might be overshook. Yeah, I don't know. But you like it. He's a coffee connoisseur though, so I What do you give it out of 10? Okay, seven, seven. I gave good. it a four. I gave it a, I gave it a seven. Okay. Okay. Thanks, babe. Thanks. Love you. <laughs> Toodles. <laughs> he got coffee. He, yeah, out he of got it. he got a treat. So <laughs> we won't have to give him a. Uh, we won't have to pay his fee for being on the episode. Yes, he got the coffee now. Yeah. <laughs> so his consulting jump, fee. Jump. Yeah, this is just isn't what I expected. No, it, I'm disappointed in it. Usually, I'm really psyched about coffee drinks, but <sighs> I'm gonna still drink it though. It's like a sourness. I don't know. Anyway, we'll stop harping on about the coffee. <laughs> we will jump right into the episode. Welcome to the Strange Session. This is what we do. <laughs> hey, we're, it's only 14 minutes, so we're okay. ahead of schedule at we this point. We are ahead of schedule. <laughs> Let us jump right into the main story, which, as you know, is near-death experience. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. near-death experiences. Or NDE, if you're hip with the yeah, kids. Yeah, that's what the kids call it. Kids call it NDEs. <laughs> um, so here we go. As always, we're going to drop a bunch of history on you before we get to other stuff. So, it's said that 3% of the U.S. Start over. It's said that 3% of the U.S. population has had near-death experiences, and one out of every 10 people who die and come back report having near-death experiences. One in 10. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I, I thought it was lower than that, but I've come across that several times. I wonder how many... How many people have you... They said there's probably a lot of people that don't want to talk about it, sure. so never report it to. How common is it for someone to die and come back? It's re- relatively common. Really? It, that's one of the things is that that's why it's kind of a newer thing. I mean, it's happened way back in the history, well, but it's kind of a newer thing because there's been so advances. many advances yeah. that they're able to bring back people sure. who died. Okay. You know, we're back in the day. It's like, well, he looks dead. He's probably dead. <laughs> Let's Let put him, him in the morgue and then they the wake ground. up. And yep. that's why they had bells um, yeah, over graves. Yeah, the graves. Yeah. And who's wife? Didn't somebody's wife do that? Somebody famous's wife did that because like her big fear was being buried, which mm-hmm. is my big fear too. Like you, I can't believe they had to do that because they would bury people no. alive regularly. <laughs> at my funeral, make sure you poke me good in my coffin to yeah. make sure that I'm dead. I want to be cremated. That, so I feel like at my funeral, I'm definitely going to be dead. <laughs> 
Yeah. I'm going to be a pile of that's ashes. Like, that's that like point. a big fear of mine is being buried alive. Although being cremated alive would probably be horrifying. That's no picnic either. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> on that note. On that note, the whole idea of coming back to life after dying and either being changed or saying you saw the afterlife goes all the way back to the ancient Greeks. Greek philosophers like Democritus and Plato theorized about the idea of revenants or people who have come back from the dead. And Plato's famous work, The Republic, has a story about a warrior who comes back to life at his funeral and talks about leaving his body and visiting the afterlife. The oldest known documented account of a near-death experience was discovered in a French journal called Anecdotes de Medicine, which I believe is French for stories about medicine. That's extended my French, I don't know. <laughs> in this journal, a physician named Pierre-Jean Dumanchot described the case of a patient who came back to consciousness saying that he saw a light so pure and bright that he was convinced he was seeing heaven. One of the first names for this experience was, quote, experience de mort imminent, or the experience of imminent death, which was coined by French psychologist Victor Eger in the 1890s when he was studying the stories of climbers who fell and experienced a vivid life review while they were falling, which we talked about in our last episode. Mm -hmm. We had a story about a climber that fell and had a life review. It's weird that it's specifically a climber. Again. I know, but that that it happens a lot. For some reason, there were climbers were falling like crazy back then, and having well, it's kind of having a, like life reviews, a hazardous activity. Yeah, in 1892, geologist Albert Heim began to study. I don't know why a geologist was getting involved, but geologist Albert Heim, bored with rocks, I guess. <laughs> geologist Albert Heim began to study the experience of people who came close to death, such as people who almost drowned, soldiers injured in war, or again, climbers falling from great heights. As the years went on and medical knowledge and technology became much more advanced, more people were able to be resuscitated after death, and stories about their experiences began to pop up. Moving up towards the modern age, a huge step was made in 1969 with the publication of On Death and Dying by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And that she's, she's famous. Like, she's famous for specifically what I'm going to be talking about. The inspiration for this book came from Kubler-Ross's working with terminally ill patients, and she developed a model for how patients deal with the news that they'll be dying. The book is well known for putting forth the five stages of grief model for people being faced with a tragedy such as their own death or the death of a loved one. And the five stages of grief are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Mm. I mean, we learned about that in psychology. I think yeah. every psychology mm -hmm. class I had, you learned about Kubler-Ross's stages of grief. In 1962, she accepted a position at the University of Colorado School of Medicine. There, she worked as a junior faculty member and gave her first interview of a young terminally ill woman in front of a room full of medical students. Her intentions were not to be an example of pathology, but rather to depict a human being who desired to be understood as she was coping with her illness and how it has impacted her life. She stated to her students, quote, now you are reacting like human beings instead of scientists. Maybe now you'll not only know how a dying patient feels, but you will also be able to treat them with compassion, the same compassion you would want for yourself. Hmm. Like, she's really cool. Like, I've always loved Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. In her years of working with terminally ill patients, some who died and were resuscitated, she started hearing stories of near-death experiences, and her reputation took a huge hit when she started researching the topic. She began serving on the advisory board of the International Association for Near-Death Studies, or IANDS, and later published books on the topic, including 
on Life and Death in 1991 and The Tunnel and the Light in 1999. But the biggest step forward in the NDE phenomena came in 1975 when philosopher, psychologist, physician, and author Raymond Moody published a book called Life After Life. While he was going to college at the University of Virginia in... <laughs> while he was sorry while he was going sorry <laughs> <laughs> i might leave that in that was actually kind of funny <laughs> while he was going to college at the university of virginia in 1965 moody met psychiatrist dr george ritchie who told moody about how he believed he had visited the afterlife after being dead for nine minutes when he was 20 years old mm-hmm. Moody began documenting similar accounts by other people who had come back from being clinically dead, and he discovered that many of these experiences shared common features. Life After Life really brought the idea of near-death experiences into the public eye, and people became fascinated with the topic. Moody wrote several books about the subject and is credited as being the one who coined the term near-death experience. This is from Wikipedia, quote, Inspired by the Greek psychomantiums, where the ancient Greeks would go to consult the apparitions of the dead, which Moody had read about in classic Greek texts that he encountered while a student at the University of Virginia, Moody built a psychomantium in Alabama, which he called the Dr. John D. Theater of the Mind. By staring into a mirror in a dimly lit room, Moody claims that people are able to summon visions of spiritual apparitions. And that's just creepy. I'm not going to stare into a mirror no, in a dimly lit room. No, I think, yeah, just for any reason, that's no, a mirrors creepy thing creep me to out. do. Mirrors just kind of creep me out. 100%. But I guess this Dr. John D. Theater of the Mind is still there, and you can tour it and stuff. And mm. That'd be cool, though. I don't think I'm going to be going into any psychomantiums anytime soon, but I'd like to check it out. Since Moody... Every time you say Moody, I think of Mad-Eye Moody from <sighs> Harry Moody. Potter. No. Since Moody brought NDEs to the public eye, there have been a ton of popular books written about the subject, including 90 Minutes in Heaven by Don Piper, Secrets of the Light by Danian Brinkley, and Embraced by the Light by Betty Eady. This summary comes directly from the IANDS website, which is, again, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. The website says, Most NDEs are felt as peaceful and loving, but some can be disturbing. Each near-death experience is unique, but as a group, NDEs display common features. This is a combination of traits found on the IANDS website and a book by PMH Atwater, one of the most prolific NDE researchers, who wrote a book called Coming Back to Life, where she described the traits of a peaceful experience. So these are the common traits of a near-death experience. I'm ready. A sensation of floating out of one's body often followed by an out-of-body experience where all that goes on around the vacated body is both seen and heard accurately and one's body is seen from above. You hear that a lot. Mm -hmm. Another one, intense emotions, commonly of profound peace, well-being, love, while others can be marked by fear, horror, and loss. I don't want one of those. No. My luck, that's what would happen. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Also, passing through a dark tunnel or a black hole or encountering some kind of darkness. This is often accompanied by a feeling or sensation of movement or acceleration. Quote, unquote, wind may be heard or felt. Have you seen the movie Contact? No. With Jodie Foster? No. Oh, it's really good. 
There's a scene at the end that is very much, now that I'm thinking about it, like it seems like experience. a near-death experience, yeah. but in the moment... I it, might have seen it way back in the day. Like, did but, her dad die? Yeah. When she was a kid. Yes, okay, I did and see that. And she sees yep. him. Yep. And in my, at the moment, I was like, she got, she had an encounter. Yeah. That was like an abduction experience. But now I'm like, no, that was a near-death experience. Interesting. I might have to rewatch that. That's a great movie, actually. Mm-hmm. So there's also ascending towards a light at the end of the darkness, a light of incredible brilliance with the possibility of seeing people, animal, plants, lush outdoors, and even cities within this light. There's also a sense of being, quote, somewhere else in a landscape that may seem like a spiritual realm or a world. People are often greeted by friendly voices, people or beings who may be strangers, loved ones, or religious figures. And in quotation or in parentheses, they have the judges, Jesus, or saint. Hmm. It can also be with unrecognized beings, which would be kind of creepy, with whom communication is mind to mind. These figures may seem consoling, loving, or terrifying. <laughs> Conversation can ensue. Information or a message may be given. That feels like an alien encounter. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Another one is that there is often incredibly rapid, sharp thinking and observations made. Also, seen a panoramic review of the life just lived from birth to death or in reverse order, sometimes becoming a reliving of the life rather than just a dispassionate viewing. The person's life can be reviewed in its entirety or just in segments. This is usually accompanied by a feeling or a need to assess loss or gains during the life to determine what was learned or not learned. Other beings can take part in this judgment-like process or offer advice. In some cases, a flood of knowledge about life and the nature of the universe is made. So that's kind of, that. you hear that a lot, that all of a sudden yeah. they have access, like they know everything, but they can't put into words yeah Mm -hmm. and that's like a really common one that i came across quite a bit there's also a reluctance to return to the earth plane but invariably realizing either their job on earth is not finished or a mission must yet be accomplished before they can return to stay there's also a warped sense of time and space you discover that time and space do not exist and you lose the need to recognize measurements of life either as valid or necessary like you just become like there's just whatever you are. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's no time. There's no anything. That's such a weird I know, concept. I know. I can't wrap my head around that. And there's often disappointment at being revived, often feeling a need to shrink or somehow squeeze to fit back into the physical body. There can be unpleasantness, even anger or tears at the realization that they are now back in their bodies and are no longer on the other side. So that's a lot of, we're going to get, we're going to do it, some more of these, but that's a lot of the common factors of near-death experiences. Whether the NDE was beautiful or terrifying, near-death experiencers commonly say it was unlike a dream and that it was, quote, more real than real, the most powerful event in their lives. They struggle to find words to describe it, but insist they now know something new about reality, that there's more than what's just here around us. Most feel deeply changed in their attitudes towards life, work, and relationships. And we heard mm-hmm. my, my friend's story from the last one that like almost set the course of his future life because of his near-death experience. After a wonderful NDE, people almost always report losing their fear of death and believing that the essential purpose of human life is to develop our capacity to love. After a disturbing NDE, a person will almost always look for an explanation for having had the experience. Because many interpret it as a threat or a warning, they may try to change habits or behaviors or Mm. to take up a new religious practice, hoping to avoid a recurrence. Like they think maybe they saw the other side. Yeah, like maybe I need to shape up. The other, other side. Yes, I need to shape up. (laughs) Okay. 
However, experiencers adjust to these personal transformations. They often have difficulty finding someone they trust to tell about the event. They usually feel in great need of information and support. And that's, that's like a, one of those things where they need the support to tell somebody, but you also don't want to tell somebody right. what you did, you know, because they won't believe you. Or no, think and it's crazy. all, it's often very personal. It's often a very right. personal thing. Nearly identical experiences may also occur when people are nowhere near death or not in any health crisis at all, perhaps during prayer or meditation under deep emotional stress or at the bedside of a dying person. So these are kind of the typical NDE experiences. You hear the tunnel, Mm -hmm. the tunnel going towards the light. A loved one or a a being that makes you feel loved. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. According to a 2015 BBC article called The Seven Ways to Have an NDE, The article says that Sam Parnia, a critical care physician and director of resuscitation research at Stony Brook University School of Medicine in New York, along with colleagues from 17 institutions in the U.S. and U.K., wanted to do away with assumptions about what people did or did not experience on their deathbeds. It is possible, they believe, to collect scientific data about those would-be final moments. So for four years, they analyzed more than 2,000 cardiac arrest events, moments when a patient's heart stops and they are officially dead. Of those patients, doctors were able to bring 16% of them back from the dead, and Parnia and his colleagues were able to interview 101 of them, or about a third. The goal was to try to understand, first of all, what is the mental and cognitive experience of death, Parnia says, and then, if we got people who claimed auditory and visual awareness at the time of death, to see if we were able to determine if they really were aware of their surroundings. Nearly 50% of the study participants could recall something. But unlike Mr. A, who must have been another patient, and just one other woman whose out-of-body account could not be verified externally, the other patient's experiences did not seem to be tied to actual events that took place during their death. Instead, they reported dreamlike or hallucinatory scenarios that Parnia and his co-authors categorized into seven major themes. Most of these were not consistent to what's called a NDE, Parnia says. It seems like the mental experience of death is much broader than what's been assumed in the past. The seven themes that they found in these patients were, number one, fear. Number two, seeing animals or plants. Number three, bright lights. Number four, violence and persecution. That's disturbing. Mm -hmm. Number five, deja vu. Number six, seeing family. And number seven, recalling events post-cardiac arrest. The animals and plants one is a new one to me. Yeah. These mental experiences range from terrifying to blissful. There were those who reported feeling afraid or suffering persecution. For example, one person said, quote, I had to get through a ceremony and the ceremony was to get burned. There were four men with me and whichever one lied would die. I saw men in coffins being buried upright. Another remembered being, quote, dragged away through deep water, and still another was told that they were going to die, and the quickest way was to say the last short word I could remember. That's just so weird. Really random. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's... Nonsensical. And creepy. Yeah. I don't like that. Like, men in coffins being buried upright. Others, however, experienced the opposite sensation, with 22% of them reporting a feeling of peace or pleasantness. Some saw living things. Quote, all plants, no flowers, or, quote, lions and tigers, while others basked in the glow of a brilliant white light or were reunited with family. Some, meanwhile, reported a strong sense of deja vu, one of them saying, quote, I felt like I knew what people were going to do before they did it. 
Heightened senses, a distorted perception of the passage of time, and a feeling of disconnection from the body were also common sensations that survivors reported. So it's weird. I mean, when you think of near-death experiences, you think of the peaceful going towards mm-hmm. the light, but there's a lot of ones that are weird or mm-hmm. or or creepy. That Netflix series, I remember somebody had a, a negative Bad one. experience. Yeah. yeah. And I think we just kind of comfort ourselves by just thinking of the good ones. Mm-hmm. You know, and the article goes on to say, and some NDEs are just plain scary. According to an article on the Missouri Medicine site called Distressing Near-Death Experience, The Basics, the article talks about three different kinds of negative near-death experiences. The first of these is called, quote, the inverse, where the things that other people describe as being positive about their NDEs, other other people experience as a negative. A man thrown from his horse found himself floating up at treetop height, watching emergency medical technicians working over his body. No, no, this isn't right, he screamed. Put me back. But they did not hear him. Next, he was shooting through darkness towards a bright light, flashing past scary, shadowy people who seemed to be deceased family members waiting for him. He was panic-stricken by the bizarre scenario and his inability to affect what was happening. And I could see where that would be creepy. Like, that's scary. Like, you... But I don't know if that's... He wasn't ready. No, I think that's scary because you're freaked out about what's happening. Mm-hmm. But that's often that often happens. And that's one of the negative types of NDEs called the inverse. Because usually when people describe seeing their loved ones, yep. it's, a, yep. it's a good experience. Yeah. Another woman uh, in childbirth felt her spirit separate from her body and fly into space at tremendous speed, then saw a small ball of light rushing towards her. It became bigger and bigger as it came towards me, she said. I realized that we were on a collision course and it terrified me. I saw the blinding white light come right up to me and engulf me. Another woman collapsed from hypothermia and began re-experiencing her her entire life. She says, quote, I was filled with such sadness and I experienced a great deal of depression. So those are the inverse and Mm -hmm. that's bad experiences with the common stuff from Mm -hmm. NDEs, the light, the people waiting for you. Yeah. Yeah. The second of the three negative experiences is known as, quote, the void. It just sounds scary. (laughs) Yes, it is. This is an encounter with a perceived vast emptiness, often a devastating scenario of aloneness, isolation, sometimes annihilation. A woman in childbirth found herself abruptly flying over the hospital and into deep, empty space. A group of circular entities informed her that she never existed, that she had never been allowed to imagine her life, and that it was just a joke. She was not real. She argued with them the facts about her life and her description of Earth. No, they said, none of that had ever been real. This is all there ever was. She was then left alone in empty space. That's creepy. Yeah, that's awful. Yep. Another woman in childbirth. Sorry, guys. This is, you know, <laughs> I think people are downer. like, this is going to be all uplifting stories. <laughs> and then I'm talking about the void and the these creatures, whatever they are. Another woman in childbirth felt herself floating on water, but at a certain point, she says, quote, it was no longer a peaceful feeling. It had become pure hell. I had become a light out in the heavens and I was screaming, but no sound was going forth. It was worse than any nightmare. I was spinning around and I realized that this was eternity. This was what forever was going to be. I felt the aloneness, the emptiness of space, the vastness of the universe, except for me, a mere small ball of light screaming. A woman who attempted suicide felt herself sucked into a void, saying, quote, I was being drawn into this dark abyss, a tunnel or void. I was not aware of my body as I know it. I was terrified. I felt terror. I had expected nothingness. I expected the big sleep. I expected oblivion. And now I found that I was going to be on another plane and it frightened me. 
I wanted nothingness, but this force was pulling me somewhere I didn't want to go, but I never got beyond the fog. A man who was attacked by a hitchhiker felt himself rise out of his body. I was suddenly surrounded by total blackness, floating in nothing but black space, with no up, no down, no left, no right. What seemed like eternity went by. I fully lived it in this misery. I was only allowed to think and reflect. Hmm. Yeah. Trapped in your own head. Yep. That's my worst nightmare. The last of the three <laughs> negative NDE experiences is called, quote, the hellish. <laughs> like, well, that's just like the other, Like the others were in fun. Yeah. You know? A man in heart failure felt himself falling into the depths of the earth. At the bottom was a set of high, rusty gates, which he perceived as the gates of hell. Panic-stricken, he managed to scramble back up into the daylight. A woman was being escorted through a frighteningly desolate landscape and saw a group of wandering spirits. They looked lost and in pain, but her guide indicated she was not allowed to help them. An atheistic university professor with an intestinal rupture experienced being maliciously pinched, then torn apart by malevolent beings. A woman who hemorrhaged from a ruptured fallopian tube reported an NDE involving, quote, horrific beings with gray gelatinous appendages grasping and clawing at me. The sounds of their guttural moaning and the indescribable stench still remain 41 years later. There was no benign being of light, no life video, nothing beautiful or pleasant. A woman who attempted suicide felt her body sliding downward in a cold, dark, watery environment. When I reached the bottom, she said, it resembled the entrance to a cave with what looked like webs hanging. I heard cries, wails, moans, and the gnashing of teeth. I saw these beings that resembled humans with the shape of a head and body, but they were ugly and grotesque. They were frightening and sounded like they were tormented in agony. So there you go. There are some negative. I'm just going to nope all yeah, of that. Yeah, there are some negative NDEs. Wow. Yep. Mm-mm. A February 4th Salon.com article called, quote, Searching for the Bright Light, Five Surprising Facts About Near-Death Experiences says, quote, A recent survey of over 3,000 NDE incidents culled from information reported to the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation gave an interesting snapshot of the almost 600 NDEs that occur every day in the United States. That's a lot of near-death mm-hmm. experiences every day. 600 every day. Yeah, that's what it said. Apparently, an NDE is not all it's cracked up to be. Of the subjects surveyed, 81% of women and 87% of men had a negative sentiment regarding their experience. 18% of women and 12% of men had a positive feeling about their NDE. So there were far more negative. Mm. Wow, you never hear about those stories, though. No, no. Despite the common conception that an NDE triggers a spiritual awakening, only 20% of the survey subjects reported some kind of religious awakening due to their experience. 2% said that it didn't change anything, and the vast majority of them, 78%, were uncertain that they felt any different. Women reported experiencing NDEs more than men, 59% versus 41%. 67% of those surveyed said they made changes in how they lived their lives after their NDE. Of those, 43% made large changes, while 12% made slight changes, and an equal 12% made moderate changes. 18% made no changes at all. Interestingly, those who made the large changes and those who made no changes on average, both of them had negative sentiments towards the NDE itself. Those who made just moderate changes had the most positive sentiments towards the NDE. 84% of the people in the survey reported seeing a light at the end of a tunnel. Of these, 74% reported that the light was not just bright, but otherworldly or mystical. 
16% said they did not see any light, and women saw the otherworldly light much more than men, 43% to 31%. Hmm. So those are well, some I of suppose, the facts. I suppose your perception of what happened to you, like maybe did they did they view it as a near-death experience or were they somebody who said, yeah, that was crazy, but it was probably just a hallucination? I don't know. Maybe I don't know. those are the people who were like, yeah, I don't need to do anything differently. I don't know. I mean, it's... it's. I feel like you'd be inspired to change if you felt that it truly was a glimpse of what's next. Yeah. But like and you said, a you lot didn't. of people probably were like, that's just some kind of weird, crazy right. dream I had with it. My and then why would you change anything, yeah. you know? yeah. But I was kind of surprised at the amount of negative yeah. near-death experiences. And those are disturbing. Like I've... Really on Unsolved Mysteries and those kind of shows back in the day, I remember hearing like people's negative, like getting taken to hell and seeing people torn apart in front of them and yeah, stuff. Yeah, horrifying. It is horrifying. But like the majority of the ones that I read online were good. You know, mm-hmm. they were like all the good went towards the light, was sad to come back. Maybe you're more reluctant to share the negative one though. If it yeah. happened to you. Well, yeah. Especially if if you believe that you came back with a purpose, your purpose might be to spread the word that you guys mm-hmm. need to kind of shape up because there is something after you die. And it might not be so good. And it might not be the, <laughs> and it might not be the best. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So those are some facts that I came across and all this stuff. Okay. But it's just, it's weird to me how many of the near-death experiences follow like the same pattern, like mm-hmm. all this, the light, the tunnel you know, and all this stuff. So now we get to theories and there are okay. two basic theories. How many sub theories? I don't know if there's sub theories just okay. as much as stuff about each one, but there's two basic theories okay. about near death experiences. Theory number one, they are real. The most basic supernatural explanation is that someone who goes through an NDE is actually experiencing and remembering things that happen in their disembodied consciousness. When they are near death, their soul leaves their body and they begin to perceive things that they normally cannot perceive. The soul goes through the border between our world and the afterlife, usually represented by a tunnel with a light at the end. While on this journey, the soul encounters other spiritual entities and may even encounter a divine entity, which many subjects perceive as God. They are offered a glimpse into another realm of being, often thought to be heaven, but then they are pulled back or choose to go back into their earthly body. You know, and that's that's like the nutshell of when you believe that it's a legitimate thing. I mean, it is your consciousness splitting away from your body. I think it would have to be because in a lot of these cases, there's no brain activity anymore. You can't dream if there's no brain activity. Nope. So what are you experiencing then? Yeah. And that's the thing is that the consciousness is weird. You know, it's like, what is consciousness? It's not a tangible thing. It's not, you know, and it's, it's, it's very like if you when you get into studying consciousness it's yeah. weird it's hard to wrap your head around for like sure. you know i don't know like is it part is it just the reactions between the synapses in your brain is it all that or is it like a separate thing that is in your body you know and then you get into the whole ghost like a ghost just right. remnants of consciousness right. that like it's weird like mm-hmm. when you really think about what consciousness what constitutes consciousness mm-hmm. or your soul it's it's weird mm-hmm. belief in astral projection connects ndes with other forms of out of body experiences astral projection is the ability of an astral self to travel outside its body In an NDE, this astral self or soul spontaneously leaves the body and travels freely to other places. 
A few cases of NDEs seem to offer proof that people actually experienced events from a point of view different than that of their earthly body. People who were unconscious, non-responsive, had their eyes closed, or had been declared clinically dead have reported details of procedures done to them, and people who were present in the room, you know, basically said, yeah, that is what happened to you. And they'd have no way of knowing that. Some NDE subjects who suffered from permanent blindness have reportedly been able to identify the color of a doctor's shirt, for example. And that's a pretty good clincher that, you know, if you... How's that even possible? I don't know. I don't know. For those with a strong belief in Judeo-Christian theology, NDEs represent proof that we have souls, that they continue to exist after we die, and that heaven and hell are real things. Some people believe that NDEs are the, solely the work of Satan, who seeks to exploit people's vulnerability at the time by appearing as, quote, an angel of light. Satan's ultimate reason for this deception is unclear. So there's some people that think near death, you know, like the people that think ghosts are just demons. Like there's no good ghosts right. and it's all purely demons. People mm-hmm. think that NDEs are just the work of Satan. Which is counterintuitive because a lot of people change their lives for the better yeah. after these experiences. Yeah, so so Satan might need to do a little suck better. Suck at there. Satan. Yeah, <laughs> suck at Satan. <laughs> need a shirt that says that. <laughs> it is interesting to note that non-Judeo-Christian religions have stories and descriptions of death that seem to explain many of the common NDE traits. Buddhism, for example, describes the clear light of death as well as the demonic embodiments of moral failure. So a lot of it goes along with kind of what you, you know, like there's there's the light of death, like the light f- isn't just a Christian thing. Like right. other religions experience the light at mm-hmm. moments of NDEs. In an April 2015 article in The Atlantic called, quote, The Science of Near-Death Experiences, the article says, One of the most celebrated is the story of Maria, a migrant worker who had an NDE during a cardiac arrest at a hospital in Seattle in 1977. She later told her social worker that while doctors were resuscitating her, she found herself floating outside the hospital building and saw a tennis shoe on the third floor window ledge, which she described in some detail. The social worker went to the window Maria had indicated and not only found the shoe, but said that the way it was placed meant that there was no way Maria could have seen all the details she described from inside her hospital room. That social worker, Kimberly Clark Sharp, is now a bubbly 60-something with a shock of frizzy hair who acted as my informal press officer during the conference. She and her story are an IANDS institution. I heard several people refer to, quote, the case of Maria's shoe or just, quote, the tennis shoe case. But while Maria's shoe certainly makes for a compelling story, it's thin on the evidential side. A few years after being treated, Maria disappeared, and nobody was able to track her down to confirm her story. Maybe she got tired of talking about it. It could be. Or maybe (laughs) it was made up. Maybe it was something somebody made up. Maybe she did see the shoe from her window and... You know, I don't know. It's one of those things like where maybe people that want to believe in near-death experiences bought her story Mm -hmm. more, Mm -hmm. you know. A case with a lot more evidence is that of Pam Reynolds, a singer-songwriter. In 1991, Reynolds, then 35, underwent surgery to to remove a huge aneurysm at the base of her brain. Worried that the aneurysm might burst and kill her during the operation, her surgeon opted for the radical move of hypothyroidism thermic cardiac arrest, chilling her body to 60 degrees Fahrenheit, stopping her heart, and draining the blood from her head. The cooling would prevent her cells from dying while deprived of oxygen. When the doctors restarted her heart and warmed her body back up, she would, 
in effect be rebooted it's just creepy like i, I this one was on the netflix series it, it might have been yeah like that's just such a weird like yeah. i would be so scared going she into like that. opted to do this yeah <laughs> yeah but if 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 it increases your odds but you're you're being basically well, killed was, you're basically being killed and rebooted and she was at risk of dying anyway yeah in the so why not but, right it's a gamble man. but like i always think i always thought. think of like what it would be like the moments you're put out what your last thoughts are you're gonna be like oh my gosh you am know? i waking up yeah like that's just such mm. a creepy thing to me mm-hmm. to make absolutely sure that reynolds brain was completely inactive during the operation the medical team put small speakers into her ears that played rapid continuous clicks at 100 decibels a sound level described as equivalent to that produced by a lawnmower or a jackhammer that's got to be pleasant mm. clicking in your head <laughs> If any part of her mind was working, that insistent clicking would show up as electrical signals in the brainstem, which the surgeons were monitoring on an electroencephalogram, or an EEG. The machine confirmed that for a number of minutes, Reynolds was effectively dead in both brain and body. Yet after the surgery, she reported having a powerful NDE, including an out-of-body experience, and accurately recalled several details about what was going on in the operating room, such as the shape of the bone saw being used on her skull, snatches of conversations between the medical staff and the staff listening rather inappropriately, she remembered thinking, to the song Hotel California. You can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. Mm. For the near-death experience community, Reynolds is Exhibit A. But none of Reynolds' reported perceptions happened while her EEG recorded a flatline. They all took place before or after when she was under anesthetic but was very much alive. Anesthesia awareness is generally estimated to affect roughly 1 in 1,000 patients. Therefore, the skeptical argument goes Reynolds could have heard snatches of conversation. She might have deduced some things about the bone saw from the noise it made or from the vibration of it against her skull, and she might have reconstructed some false memories out of details she noticed before the operation. Mm -hmm. In 2011, a year after Reynolds did die from heart failure, the Journal of Near-Death Studies devoted an entire issue to the debate about her case, in which a skeptic and two believers argued over such minutiae, minutia, minutia, such tiny things as the duration (laughs) of the noise played by the speakers in her ears, the way the bone conducts sound, and esoteric theories of how exactly a non-physical mind might be able to perceive physical stimuli. Summing it up, Janice Minor Holden, the journal's editor, concluded that cases like Reynolds, quote, provide imperfect data that probably can never result in definitive evidence. Right. So where next for the science of near-death experiences? I asked Susan Blackmore, a British psychologist who is perhaps the best-known scientific skeptic of the spiritualist explanations for NDEs. After having her own powerful out-of-body experiences as a young woman, she started investigating paranormal claims and devoted much of her career to scientifically explaining them. As far as Blackmore is concerned, the mystery has mostly been solved. We already know, she says, that the hyperactive brain under the stress of approaching death can trigger any or all of the above phenomenon. The big question, she wrote in an email, is this, quote, We see all of these aspects in isolation spontaneously with various drugs and illness and so on, but in the NDE they tend to unfold in a specific order. Why is this? We might guess it has something to do with a cascade of neurotransmitters or possibly the way hyperactivity spreads, or something. I do not know the answer here, but I guess we might soon find out. So, while some of the stuff can be explained, why does it happen in this pattern all the time? Mm -hmm. You know, and this is all still from that article. 
Mitch Lester, a tall, craggly, handsome, that's not me calling him handsome, that's from the article, <laughs> Mitch Lester, a tall, craggly, handsome psychiatrist. What's craggly? Craggly handsome is like chiseled features. Okay. Like, like who's the guy that played James Bond? Rush Murder Printer? No. That, the, oh, the, 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 the new original. Guy. The new guy. Oh. oh, Daniel Craig. Like, he's craggly handsome. Is it because his name is Daniel Craig? Maybe I'm making that connection. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, not not attractive in like a conventional way, but but like hardly attractive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like, er. <laughs> like me. Wow. Like I have chiseled features. Like my strongly chiseled features. Manly and rugged. Like I'm rough around the edges. <laughs> <laughs> um, where was I now? Uh, craggly handsome psychiatrist who trained at the University of Colorado and the University of California at Irvine has a gentle accepting manner that makes you want to tell him everything. Oh, he's not very rugged though. His medical, his medical, <laughs> I don't know. His medical training made him skeptical about near-death experiences, he told me. But while he was in school, his grandfather had one and then he kept on meeting other experiencers, not always patients. People began just talking to me, he said. Lester also allowed that he himself had a near-death experience. Though he wasn't near death or any on on any hallucinogens, hallucinogens. Are you? (laughs) (laughs) It might be something in this coffee. Words swimming in front of you. Yes. So I asked him, where does he himself stand in the idea that mind and body are separate? That's where that ends. So I don't even know where that was going. I just love that your pile of papers on the table and not like half on the floor like it normally. Oh, I know. I throw them everywhere. (laughs) You know. So even people that think it's purely scientific say that there are things about it that that they they don't understand yeah like why does it always do this why does it always go this way the brain though i feel like there's so many things that our brains are capable of that people can't explain yeah on the afterlifeconference.com website you know they also talked about some of the ndes it said hallucinate hallucinate well you really i am out of it i don't know what it is you struggle with that word i do So on the afterlifeconference.com website, it brings up these points. Hallucinations are often illogical, fleeting, bizarre, or distorted, where the vast majority of NDEs are logical, orderly, clear, and comprehensible. And that's completely true. Hmm. When you think of hallucinations, you think of crazy stuff. You think of like dreams. Like unicorns. Like unicorns. You know, unicorns farting glitter. Like that would be hallucination. And, And these are usually pretty... Other than like the really bad ones, these mm-hmm. are pretty run of the mill. Like you, they follow this pattern. You go through this light, right? It's the same. You know, tunnel to the light. To yeah. This, why does everyone this. see the same? Yeah, things. exactly. They often say people tend to forget their hallucinations, whereas most NDEs remain vivid for decades. And that's true. Do you think it's because people hear stories of near death experiences? It could experiences? be. It's possible. I mean, it's possible. That's when we get into they aren't real. Right. You know. The website says NDEs often lead to profound and permanent transformations in personality, attitudes, beliefs, and values, something that is never seen following hallucinations. People look back on hallucinations, typically recognize them as unreal, as fantasies, where people describe their NDEs as, quote, more real than real. People who have experienced both hallucinations and an NDE describe them as being totally different. And finally, how can people hallucinate anything at all when their brains are dead? Right. That's the part I go back to. Psychology Today, July 6, 2020, had an article called, quote, David Ditchfield's Remarkable Near-Death Experience. The article says, it is also difficult to see how NDEs could be due to undetected brain activity when, after cardiac arrest, brainstem reflexes are lost right away and do not return until after the heart has been restarted. 
How could a brain be functioning without showing any signs of activity? In any case, if there was some undetected brain activity, it would have to be incredibly low, and it seems unlikely that such a low level of brain activity could produce these intense conscious experiences. Mm-hmm. And there's also an experience called terminal lucidity. According to the Monroe Institute website, quote, terminal lucidity refers to people who suffer... suffer. Oh boy, I am... I feel weird, like I'm drunk. Back in the saddle. <laughs> Back in the saddle. Terminal lucidity. <laughs> Back in saddle. <laughs> Back in saddle. Terminal lucidity refers to people who suffer from Alzheimer's, schizophrenia, or other brain diseases, but who, days or hours before their death, suddenly recover their mental faculties and recognize their loved ones just before passing away. Mm. This phenomenon is a real challenge. How do you explain it? It looks as if the person, in leaving the sick brain, retrieves his or her mental faculties before passing into the next world. These retrieved mental faculties may be the result of the mind separating loose from its damaged brain. And I mean, that's like, that makes a lot of sense to me. Like the terminal lucidity stuff, where all of a sudden this person who was totally out of it, didn't recognize anybody for this moment before they die, everything's clear to them. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense to me that it's the the mind or the soul separating or the, the consciousness the separating from the body mm-hmm. from the diseased body and i was kind of fascinated by that and i kind of mm. went down a rabbit hole about terminal lucidity hmm. you know and of course there's there's explanations for it there's scientific explanations for it but i don't know i mean i just think that's like a really good it's really good evidence that that this is happening the mind or the consciousness or the soul is separating from the body and theory number 2 they aren't real. You know, and then we look at, we can break down all of these components of an NDE and talk about how they aren't real. There's the out-of-body experience. The body's spatial sense is prone to malfunction during a near-death experience as well. Again, your brain interprets faulty information about where the body is in relation to the space around it. The result is a sensation of leaving the body and flying around the room. Combined with other effects of trauma and oxygen deprivation in the brain, a symptom in many near-death situations, this leads to the overall experience of floating into space while looking down at your own body and then leaving to float down a tunnel. So it's saying that because your brain is, is, isn't is getting oxygen, is dying or whatever, that your whole sense of space is messed up and you become you begin to feel like you're, you're floating. Hmm. So that's how they kind of explain the out of body experience happening is just that stuff. When you're also then hallucinating. Mm-hmm. The tunnel and the light. According to an article I couldn't really nail down a citation for, it said, quote, in the human visual system, for example, neurons or brain cells deprived of oxygen will start to fire out of control. Since the majority of the cells in our visual cortex respond to stimulation in the central visual field, the result is a white spot in the center with fewer cells firing out of control in the periphery. As oxygen deprivation continues, the white spot grows and the sensation of moving through a tunnel towards a white light is produced. Hmm. And that makes sense to me that because of this, if you're, 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 your visual cortex, you know, you're seeing this light in the middle and as more cells are dying around it, the light is getting bigger, which you can misconstrue as going into this tunnel tunnel of light. That does make sense. It does make sense. Some have theorized that neural noise or an overload of information sent to the brain's visual cortex creates an image of a bright light that gradually grows larger. The brain then interprets this as moving down a dark tunnel. And I kind of get that, you know... 
there were some people that actually said that they felt the going down the tunnel towards the light is your mind reverting back to being born when you pass through the you know mm-hmm. the womb into the real right. into the, the the doctor's office, mm-hmm. not the office. The, the, <laughs> it's probably in, in an you uh, know what I'm talking about surgical suite surgical, or something. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. like that's you're remembering your body coming out of your mom. Hmm. Uh, then there's then there's the happy feeling, the peaceful, calm sensation felt during NDEs may be a coping mechanism triggered by increased levels of endorphins produced in the brain during trauma. This reminds me of the movie, one of my favorite movies, Signs. Yeah, how he tries to explain away the things that she said, his wife said to him yes. yep. when she was dying, yeah. as you know, lack of oxygen. She she was hallucinating, and yeah. then it turned out that it was all precognition. Yeah, exactly. Gives you the chills. Exactly. But that's one of the big ones for happy feelings is that that's you're you're producing endorphins because you're going through trauma and it's making you feel happy. Mm-hmm. And then there's hallucinations. Uh, the How Stuff Works website had a really good discussion about it. It talked about how reality is the sum of our sensory inputs. When you're reading something on a computer screen, the light from the monitor is hitting your retinas and your brain is interpreting the pattern in the lights. Your nerves and muscle fibers know where your arms are at any given time. We are basically the sum of what our senses are perceiving at any given moment. Now imagine that all your senses are malfunctioning. Instead of real sensory input from the world around you, your brain is receiving faulty information, possibly because of drugs or some form of trauma that is causing your brain to shut down. What you perceive as a real experience is actually your brain trying to interpret all this information. NDEs that include visits to heaven or meetings with God could involve a combination of several factors. Faulty sensory input, oxygen deprivation, and endorphin-induced euphoria to create a surreal, though realistic, experience. When the subject recalls the encounter later, it has passed through the filter of his conscious mind. Bizarre experiences that seem unexplainable become spiritual beings, other dimensions, or conversations with God. Hmm. And that kind of makes sense to me, too, is that... It's it's weird when you think about this kind of gets back to the whole reality thing. Like when I'm sitting here looking at you, you're real, but you're also only what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. You're also only your image reflecting back in my eyes mm-hmm. and my ears picking up what you're saying. Like mm-hmm. our reality is nothing but our senses picking things up. Mm-hmm. So when you're dying your brain that usually does this is freaking out and it's just bringing up all this other stuff and trying to cope with this. And it's causing all this other stuff to happen. And then when you come back, your conscious mind is trying to sort that out into a way that makes sense to you. So you're exper- you experience that as a near death experience. You know, it's, it's weird. It's, it's, it's weird when you think about that, that, that reality, Again, don't think too hard about that. No, but reality is only what, it's what our senses are picking is. up. Yes. Yeah. You know, when I'm touching this table that I'm touching feels real to me, but that's only because my fingers are touching it and it's sending it back mm-hmm. into my brain. So it's our brains like... are kind of like the only thing that really exists. Mm-hmm. And I, I've even thought, because Jim is colorblind. Yeah. So it's really crazy to me that we can look at the same thing and he sees something yeah, totally completely different. different. Yeah. And I wonder if someone who's not colorblind, if we still look at the same thing and see something totally different. Yeah. What if my blue is your red? Yeah. Yeah, and you that's very I mean? possible. That's very possible. So, it, you know, like when your brain is is dying and it's all of a sudden everything is going haywire and it's not experiencing things like it's used to, it's just doing all this crazy stuff. And then when you come back, the only way you can rationalize that crazy stuff is that your brain puts it into like a near-death experience. So mm-hmm. there's that. 
and the awareness of the outside world. The experiences of people whose out-of-body adventures allow them to see and hear events that their unconscious body shouldn't be able to perceive are more difficult to explain. However, it's plausible that unconscious people can still register sensory cues and prior knowledge and incorporate them into their NDEs. Whether this is more plausible than a subject's soul floating out of their body is a matter of personal opinion. You know, but that's a hard one. That's not a very good explanation. No, it's not. But they admit that that's not, that Mm -hmm. that's hard to really write off, but... And those are the most convincing parts yeah, of near-death experiences yeah. when, for me. When you're looking on, down on your body and you're saying what the surgeons are doing to you, is that because you're seeing it from above or is it because your body somehow knows... Is interpreting. Is in- interpreting what they're doing to you. Mm-hmm. And this is this is frustrating because this is one where you can, I can see it both ways. Mm-hmm. You know, I really can. So there's also a tie-in with sleep paralysis. According to a June 28, 2019 article on NBC News called, quote, Can Science Explain What People See and Feel During a Near-Death Experience? The article says, quote, Dr. Daniel Konzilia, a neurologist at the University of Copenhagen, is the lead author of new research on near-death experiences that suggests that the typical hallmarks of such episodes, such as a bright white light and a sense of tranquility, are most likely the result of neural activity in the brain, similar to to what goes on during a phenomenon called sleep paralysis. I've never had that particular sleep paralysis experience. No. They suggest that brain mechanisms responsible for these sleep disturbances also allow people to visualize experience when their lives are truly in danger, a hypothesis that is bolstered by the study's finding that there is an overlap between those who report experiencing both phenomena. Nelson says, quote, people whose brains are more likely to blend REM and waking consciousness under the right circumstances are much more likely to have a near-death experience. Nelson also says that part of the brain that allows people to be aware of where they are physically, standing up, laying down, sitting in a chair, is turned off during REM sleep. REM sleep. REM sleep. I keep calling it REM like the band. This may explain in part why some people have out-of-body experiences. So they're kind of saying that out-of-body, like near-death experiences are kind of like sleep paralysis. I can see that. I see the correlation. I can too. I'm not, I couldn't find really the data where they said that people that experience sleep paralysis are more likely mm-hmm. to experience NDEs. Great. But they said there is a weird tie-in with that, that, mm-hmm. you know, like like your location of where you are physically is shut off during REM sleep. And that's kind of what goes on during a near-death experience. Although when I have a sleep paralysis experience, I'm hyper aware of where I am. Like I can see the room around me. Mm-hmm. And I, if I'm in a different location, not my own bed, I see that location. I do know, you know I'm you're in laying bed. down? I mean, yeah. do you feel yourself physically laying I, down? I can feel myself either on my left side, my back, my right side. Yeah. But I have different experiences than mm-hmm. a lot of people. But they're like researching now to see if there's some correlation between the two of them, which I thought was interesting because we talk about sleep paralysis on here quite a bit. Yeah. And then we get to DMT, and that's a hallucinogenic drug. Mm-hmm. Uh, a 2018 Newsweek article called, quote, What Happens When You Die? Scientists Have Recreated a Near-Death Experience to Find Out What It Feels Like. The article says 13 volunteers agreed to take the powerful hallucinogenic, I keep this word, dimethyltryptamine, or DMT, in a study conducted by the Psychedelic Research Group at Imperial College London of UK. The researchers pumped the volunteers with a psychedelic drug to learn how closely DMT could bring a person to the sensation of skirting death. 
DMT's trip is said to mimic the feelings of almost dying so accurately that those who take it describe hallucinations that mirror near-death experiences, psychological events reported by people who have come close to or believe they have come close to dying. The hallucinogenic drug, which occurs naturally in our bodies, is better known as the main ingredient of ayahuasca. Ayahuasca. Yeah. How do you know that? (laughs) I, I don't know. Are you taking DNA? No, I have never taken ayahuasca, but it's it's often used for people who want to have some kind of a yeah, an experience, a revelation. Look at you! I think you—it's a tea that you sip. Yes. (laughs) Oh boy, we're gonna have to have it. Yeah, we're gonna have to have an intervention. (laughs) It's better known as the main ingredient of ayahuasca. Ayahuasca. The brew traditionally (laughs) sipped in spiritual ceremonies of some indigenous people of the Amazon basin. In recent years, such rituals have also become popular with a sizable minority of Western tourists looking to expand their psychological horizons. Tellingly, Ayahuasca translates from the Kechka language as, quote, the vine of the dead or the vine of the soul. As DMT takers traverse what some call, quote, the dome of their trip, an intense transcendelic psychedelic hallucination. Wow. Similarly, though there is no accepted definition for a near-death experience because each experience is unique, common aspects include reported out-of-body experiences, a feeling of inner peace, and the sensation of passing into another world. After their hallucinogenic trip, the participants in the study were quizzed on what they saw and felt. Did time seem to speed up or slow down? Did they see or feel surrounded by a brilliant light? Did they sense they were in some other unearthly world? The team compared their responses with a sample of people who had reported near-death experiences. When the team compared the experiences of participants to those who have reported NDEs, they found a striking overlap in almost every item of the questionnaire. The main difference came in the participants being knowingly involved in the study versus the shock and distress of a near-death experience. As a result, near-death experiences were more likely to be accompanied with a feeling or crossing a point of no return than compared with those of DMT trips. The findings are remarkable, said Timmerman. These results really grounded our results even further and are, in our opinion, important as they may open up further doors into the study of both the NDE and the DMT experience. Still, despite the apparent benefits, the evidence to explain why DMT creates a similar effect to a near-death experience is scarce. There have been hypotheses stating that because we are able to synthesize DMT naturally in our bodies, in extreme situations such as near-death experiences, there will be a massive release of DMT in the brain that may cause NDEs. Another alternative is that similar states of consciousness can be reached through different mechanisms. Both DMT and NDEs could induce similarly dramatic effects in the brain, but through differing starting points, he said. Hmm. So there's a lot of... DMT is weird. Mm Mm-hmm. Sounds like uh, it. Over break, Sophie and I were texting articles about DMT and how people on DMT often see like these same creatures or a castle or there's something really weird about it. And I want to do a probably a mini mystery on DMT mm. trips because it's kind of weird and creepy. Like halluc- it is weird that people would see the same thing. Hallucinogen like freak me out. Like no, that's a big nope. That's like a capital N O P E. I just I just don't want anything to do with that. I was even uncomfortable like researching stuff about about DMT because that just creeps me out. And I just we'll save that for when we talk about what what do we think. Also, a Scientific American 2019 article called "New Clues Found in Understanding Near Death Experiences" says, "quote 
A new study compared the stories of 625 individuals who reported NDEs with the stories of more than 15,000 individuals who had taken one of 165 different psychoactive drugs. When these stories were analyzed, similarities were found between recollections of near-death and drug experiences for those who had taken a specific class of drug. One drug, in particular ketamine, led to experiences very similar to near-death experiences. This may mean that the near-death experience may reflect changes in the same chemical system in the brain that is targeted by drugs like ketamine. Psychological interpretations of NDEs mainly regard the, quote, expectation hypothesis. According to this, NDEs would be the product of altered mental states yielded by life-threatening conditions, which would trigger NDE phenomena as a projection of beliefs and expectancy of the afterlife. Mm. In this sense, Christians would likely see Jesus in the light while Muslims might see Allah. Mm. Also, atheists are supposed to be tangled in the same cognitive mechanism with people projecting their wishes to be rejoined with their own deceased relatives. So even if, you're, even if you're atheist, you might not see a God, but you might right. still see people from your past that died because you want to see them. Mm-hmm. You know, and the expectation hypothesis is a big thing with NDEs. Like if you think I'm dying, there's going to be this tunnel of light. There's going to be this. There's going to be people. That's see. what you're going to experience. Mm-hmm. Partly because some of these people believe that there's like our body produces DMT and they think that at the moment of trauma, it, the brain releases it. And you both hallucinate and you feel more at peace. So basically what this is saying is that this is all brain stuff. Yeah. There's no body. You're not going to heaven. This is all brain stuff. A June 1st, 2020 article in Scientific American called, quote, What Near-Death Experiences Reveal About the Brain, the article says, quote, It is likely that the publicity around NDEs has built up expectations about what people should feel after such episodes. It seems possible, in fact, that distressing NDEs are significantly underreported because of shame, social stigma, and pressure to conform to the prototype of the blissful NDE. Modern death requires irreversible loss of brain function. When the brain is starved of blood flow and oxygen, the patient faints in a fraction of a minute and his or her EEG becomes isoelectric, in other words, flat. This implies that large-scale, spatially distributed electrical activity within the cortex, the outermost layer of the brain, has broken down. Like a town that loses power one neighborhood at a time, local regions of the brain go offline one after the other. The mind, whose substrate is whichever neurons remain capable of generating electrical activity, does what it always does. It tells a story shaped by the person's experience, memory, and cultural expectations. Given these brain power outages, this experience may produce the rather strange and idiosyncratic stories that make up the NDE reports. To the person undergoing it, the NDE is as real as anything the mind produces during normal waking hours. When the entire brain has shut down because of complete power loss, the mind is extinguished along with the consciousness. If and when oxygen and blood flow are restored, the brain boots back up and the narrative flow of experiences resumes. Scientists have analyzed, videotaped, and dissected the loss and subsequent recovery of consciousness in highly trained individuals, U.S. test pilots, and NASA astronauts in centrifuges during the Cold War. Recall the scene in the 2018 movie First Man of a stoic Neil Armstrong, played by Ryan Gosling, being spun in the multi-axis trainer until he passes out. And that's one of those machines that I would never want to go on. Oh my gosh, no. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doesn't it, isn't it supposed to test your... Um 
like sensitivity zero, yeah, to g-force yeah, yep. okay at around five times the force of gravity the cardiovascular system stops delivering blood to the brain and the pilot faints about 10 to 20 seconds after these large g-forces cease consciousness returns accompanied by a comparable interval of confusion and disorientation subjects in these tests are obviously very fit and pride themselves on their self-control the range of phenomenon these men recount amounts to, quote, NDE light situations or tunnel vision and bright lights, a feeling of awakening from sleep, including partial or complete paralysis, a sense of peaceful floating, out-of-body experiences, sensations of pleasure and even euphoria, and short but intense dreams, often involving communications with family members that may remain vivid for years afterwards. These intensely felt experiences triggered by a specific physical insult typically do not have any religious characteristics, perhaps because participants knew ahead of time that they would probably be stressed until they fainted. Many neurologists have noted similarities between NDEs and the effects of a class of epileptic events known as complex partial seizures, parietal seizures. Boy, partial seizures, parietal seizures? These fits partially impair consciousness and often are localized to specific brain regions in one hemisphere. They can be preceded by an aura, which is a specific experience unique to the individual patient that is predictive of an incip incipient attack. Um, one of one of our, our strangers and a very good friend of mine, her daughter has, has seizures, so I kind of wanted to reach out and ask her about this, but I didn't. So maybe she can write and let us know, mm -hmm. but her daughter has, has, has seizures. And I was just fascinated by this, that... There's this aura, or there, sometimes there's an aura that you know it's coming. It's coming, mm -hmm. and that's just kind of disturbing too. Also, sort of a blessing because it you is get in a safe place, and yeah, it is. Uh, these seizures may be accompanied by changes in the perceived sizes of objects, unusual tastes, smells, or bodily feelings. Deja vu, depersonalization, or ecstatic feelings. Hmm. More than 150 years later, neurosurgeons are now able to induce such feelings by electrically stimulating part of the cortex called the insula in patients with epilepsy who have electrodes implanted into their brain. This procedure can help locate the origin of the seizures for possible surgical removal. These patients report blissful feelings, enhanced well-being, and heightened self-awareness or perception of the external world. Exciting the gray matter electronically elsewhere can trigger out-of-body experiences or visual hallucinations. This brute link between abnormal activity patterns, whether induced by the spontaneous disease process or controlled by a surgeon's electrodes and subjective experience, provides support for a biological, not spiritual, origin to NDE. The same is for any basic non you know, near-death experience that they can recreate these in the brain mm -hmm. with electrical stimulations to certain parts of the brain. Why the mind should experience the struggle to sustain its operations in the face of loss of blood flow and oxygen as positive and blissful rather than as panic-inducing remains mysterious. It is intriguing, though, that the outer limit of the spectrum of human experience encompasses other occasions in which reduced oxygen causes pleasurable feelings of jauntiness, lightheadedness, and heightened arousal. And, you know, there's deep water diving, high altitude climbing, flying, the choking or fainting game, and sexual asphyxiation, mm -hmm. which produce this blissful feeling. Right. Cerebral anoxia, or lack of oxygen to the brain, undetected brain activity, or the release of psychedelic chemicals like ketamine could, count for, could account for NDEs. From this point of view, NDEs are nothing more than brain-created hallucinations, no more real than dreams. 
So now before we get to the what do you think, we get to something I've never heard of before called SDEs or shared death experiences. According to the Shared Crossing website, SDEs are profound experiences whereby one or more loved ones, caregivers, or even bystanders have reported sharing in a dying person's transition to the initial stages of the afterlife. According to the site, there are three different types of these. Each one of these types comes with an example. The first type of an SDE is known as a remote. This happens to people who are physically distant from the person who is dying. And this is an example from someone named Sally G. One day after our visit, I had a dream that night. I was with her in her apartment. She was young, beautiful, and happy. Her sister was with her. I looked at the clock on the wall, and it said 3 o'clock a.m. When I woke up, I knew she had passed. When I arrived at the facility, I asked one of the nurses about her, and they said she had died during the night. I asked them to look up the time of her passing, and it was recorded at exactly 3 o'clock a.m. So that's like sharing somebody, like her sister was with her, like she was going to the afterlife. And this gets into like the ghost stuff because there's a lot right. of people who have a seen a visitation mm-hmm. of somebody but that's that technically a, that's technically a shared death experience because mm-hmm. this person somewhere off somewhere else is dying right and this person that is distant from them experiences them moving on the second type is known as a flyby this is described as people feeling that they have been briefly visited by the spirit of those dying in route to whatever lies beyond this world many flybys include personal messages of gratitude and love This is an example that comes from a Carl P. I just had this profound shift happen, like this feeling of being with my father came to me. Not being with my father, you know, earlier that year here on the porch, but being with my father as it felt as a little boy. I just knew it was going to be fine. Everything was fine. He was there with me. He was on to the next thing, whatever that was, whatever that is. Hmm. The third one is known as bedside. And this is, I didn't get the person's name, but it said, Quote, then I got this feeling. It was different than any other moment. I just knew it was her time, you know, right when I said, I'm here, God's here. I felt light. I felt like this whole room became weightless and I was weightless in the room. And I saw her go towards this bright light, but I didn't see her face. It was like I saw something go towards and I knew it was her. And it was happening like really fast because later I was like, how long did that really take for the whole thing to happen? Hmm. So that's when you're actually like in the room with a person and you almost experience Right. What they're experiencing as they go into the light. I've never heard of these before. Yeah. I mean, I've heard of like people being visited by a loved one and then mm-hmm. finding out or getting a phone call and finding out that they had already yep. passed, stuff like that. And and some of these uh, shared death experience include things such as the vision of the dying person appearing more younger or more vibrant. Mm-hmm. And someone named Nina B said, quote, while I had my hands on her feet, she left her body. And then she appeared above me like she was a 16 year old girl in this flowery dress in a beautiful meadow. Uh, there's often a change in time or space. And someone named Margaret E. said, quote, the room I was in all of a sudden had a glowing iridescence somehow. There's also encounters with spiritual beings. Someone named Angela H. said, quote, all of a sudden there was a massive angel with huge wings. It was like a bird, white wings. I say it's an angel, but I really don't know. There's also visual tunnels, gateways, or vortexes. Someone named Gene D. said, quote, all of a sudden, there was like this round opening with light streaming out of it. Interestingly, in this experience, there were people peering through back at me. It was like looking up a manhole or something, only it was in front of me. And then someone named Carol S. said, I noticed that there was like this mist that came out of the top of his head as he passed, and it filled up the whole ceiling space. Hmm. So those are kind of shared death experiences where something happens when you're in the room with the person as they die. 
Or connected to them or somehow. Or connected to them somehow. Hmm. So there you go. That's a lot. <laughs> that is a lot. Wow. My mind is fried after that. So <laughs> It's not all the ayahuasca you've been drinking? <sighs> I'm still concerned about... <laughs> Did Maybe, you know ketamine is called special K and it's a horse yeah, tranquilizer? Yeah, but why am I dizzy? Did you like slip ayahuasca into my... Maybe that's what was in our, yeah, our nitro, our coffee. Jim's probably <laughs> tripping out upstairs. <laughs> he's tripping out. He's got the glow sticks and he's listening, <laughs> to, listening to some trance. That's great. So what do you think, Kurt? Uh, I... This one sucks. This one is hard because I... I just i want there to be something after we die and and yeah the 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 skeptics are going to say that all of these things can be can be you know if you electronically stimulate this part of the brain the person's going to feel like they're flying if you stimulate this part they're going to feel like they're going into a tunnel Mm -hmm. and i get that but i also feel like that skeptical reaching like you want this to be see you know it's like the people that unwilling to accept it's the same with ghosts Mm -hmm. like i yeah, you can say that, oh, it's this electromagnetic thing that's causing you to see this, or it's this building creaking. But at the same time, I've experienced enough stuff to know that there is something. It's not mm-hmm. easily, you can easily explain it away if you want, if that makes you feel better, but I can't. Right. And that's how I feel about this. Like, I I get it. I get the, I get the skeptical stuff. I get that there are explanations for everything, but I just can't bring myself to say that's all there is. Mm-hmm. I can't. There's too many... There's too many stories about people seeing this stuff and everybody seeing the same stuff. And I get that your brain can release these chemicals and I get that your, you know, visual cortex can cause you to see this tunnel of light, but it just happens like for everybody this way that I can't say that I think it's all scientifically explainable. I just can't. Mm-hmm. I, 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 and I, it's not that I'm religious. I do believe there is something after we die. But I just, I, I think that it exists. I think that there is something. I think that we go through something. Mm-hmm. But this is one of those things where the skeptics are going to bend things to make it reasonable, while the true believers are going to bend it to make it an otherworldly thing. Mm-hmm. So I just, this one, I'm more than I think any topic we've had, this is the one that I am more stuck on, that I don't know what I think you know, I buy it, but is that because I don't want this to be all there is? I want there to be something after I die? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's just, this one is hard. Yeah, I think it's both. I think that a good portion of these cases probably can be explained by the brain reacting funny and there's hallucinations, etc. Yeah. But I think there are probably a portion of them that this was truly a near-death experience. And the thing that sticks with me is that they can explain things they saw and heard that there's no rational explanation but is for that them. because they're but things that happened outside their room yes that they could not ever yeah. have had any knowledge yeah. of yep i don't know i don't know how you can explain no. that but does this this is all tied in with ghosts i mean it's all tied in with psychic powers like you know like knowing what somebody is doing outside your room as you're dying that's like a psychic thing that's you know that's kind of like remote viewing. Like this is all kind of tied in with mm-hmm. with the paranormal. I think and if you believe those things are possible, you have to believe near-death experiences are possible too. I agree. It's a glimpse of what's le- after, which I think ghosts potentially could be explained I agree. as a and glimpse I, I of what's after. I think the people that, that fight this and say, no, it's purely scientific, are like atheist in nature, that they mm-hmm. they think this is all there is. 
You it's know. interesting because one of the first stories on that Netflix series is a physician, a doctor who would never have believed in yeah. such a thing until it happened to her. Yeah. And she's like, it profoundly changed her life. Like yeah. she's no longer afraid of death and she would never have believed this experience if she hadn't had it for herself because she's like, you're sort of like a scientist. Yeah. I mean, like you're, you're naturally skeptical. You're yeah. going to be naturally skeptical about you it. You explain everything with science. And I get that our brain might produce DMT, mm-hmm. but is it going to pump that much out in that moment to right. make you feel at ease with dying? That just like makes no sense to me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if that happens, it's like something programmed that to make it happen, you mm-hmm. know? So I don't know. I, I, like I said, I, this one is just rough for me. Yeah. I just don't think science can explain all of it or no. all the experiences. No. But I think, I think it's like ghosts. Some I, of them I, are like real. I, said, I think it's like ghosts. It's like... You can explain away some of it and you can maybe explain away all of it, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to believe it, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I think that there is something after we die. I don't know what it's going to be. And do I believe in near-death experiences because I want to believe in near-death experiences? Maybe. maybe. At the end of the day, I <laughs> don't know. At the end of the day, I don't know. I just, and you know, my friend's story was interesting because that's somebody that I know. It's not just some random quack on reddit right posting a story i i know him and i trust him implicitly and i believe him do they think that he actually died i don't know probably you know like did he have a pulse like i'd be curious to know those details yeah i don't know Hmm. i don't know kurt doesn't know i just don't know (laughs) so I, I lean towards it's a real thing well if any of our listeners have had an experience i would love please to let us it. know yes if this is your first time listening and you've had an experience let us know yeah because i'm i'm stumped i just don't know what mm-hmm. i think it's just i don't know this one was hard this one was hard to research this one was hard to wrap my head around this one was just hard all around difficult (laughs) it was hard to read yeah it was hard to read oh my god i had to start a lot of stop starts there's so many there's gonna be so much editing in this episode (laughs) just read this funny but uh, i don't know dmt freaks me out hallucinations in general are scary yeah yeah it's that loss of control so at the end of this episode i'm throwing my hands up in here Mm -hmm. what do you guys think what do you guys think let us know yeah I'm cool. wiped out. Holy cow. I'm tired. We've been doing, doing this two for like five hours. Doing two episodes in a row really tuckered me out. <laughs> and I'm feeling, I'm, weird. I'm like feeling it's weirdly cold. drunk. Oh, really? I'm yeah. freezing. So I'm I don't know. starving. So, yeah. Is it your coffee? Did you even finish it? I finished it. Oh, did you? Maybe that's why. Maybe there is alcohol in there. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> this was a heady subject. This uh, one was hard yeah. to get, wrap your mind around. Literally. But True. I guess I'll find out one day what happens. Yeah. <laughs> Until then, Hopefully I lean not towards- anytime soon. They're they're legit. I yeah. lean towards the fact that too. something is happening. It is not just your brain making these things happen. I'm with you. People are going to argue with me on that, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Argue away. Yep. Let us know what you guys think. And hopefully this was an okay episode. You guys wanted near-death experiences. I didn't... I want to do more stories about near-death experiences. So we'll probably have another maybe episode where we just do nothing but stories mm-hmm. because they're fascinating. They really are. Not a big fan of the scary ones because I don't want to think that's going to happen. <laughs> I know. So, yeah. Cool. Let us know. So now what? Do we have questions on the app? What time is it? We're an hour and 38 minutes. Mm. Okay, we'll do one question. I'll read a joke. Am I doing a tarot? We can skip it. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to read 
I'll do a pickle joke and a regular joke. Oh boy. What happens when a pickle is bored? What? Becomes very dill. <laughs> These are so bad. Ugh. Okay. Laugh out loud jokes for kids. These are at least funny. Where do generals keep their armies? Where? <laughs> their sleeveys. <laughs> their armies. <laughs> It's <laughs> so bad. That was way better than the pickle joke. All right, we'll just do this one. Okay. This is a pretty cut and dried one. Sweet. Hi, Kurt. Hi, Krista. Just curious, what are your favorite viral videos? Oh. That's a weird one, but... I don't think I have one. I don't, I'm not somebody oh gosh, who I watches have... viral videos. No. I ha- Seriously? Where would I watch viral videos? Like on YouTube. Like if I send no. you a video that's funny? I'm watching music that's on... You've got to have a favorite one. viral video. Not really. Like nothing comes to mind. Nothing? Mm-mm. Is that weird? I'm weird. Maybe not because I only, I have one that popped in my head just because I watch it all the time because I think it's hilarious. My stomach is growling. Yours is? You're it's hungry. Me. You're I hungry. I'm starving. I ate at like four, four thirty. There's got to be a viral video that you've seen that you like. I mean... There's funny ones like little kids dancing and like, but nothing specific. I can't think of anything specific. What about keyboard cat? Sure. <laughs> keyboard cat's a good one. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that one is so cute. That's one of my favorites. We'll go with that one. Okay. You can go with keyboard cat. <laughs> I have cat. seen that. <laughs> There's a, the one, the, no, I'm trying to think of some. But like there's so like every month there's new viral videos. There was the guy sure. that popped upside the head with the uh the uh twisted tea can. Nothing? Mm-mm. I just don't watch that. There was that the dude stuff. on the skateboard drinking this cranberry juice with that a Fleetwood Mac on. Yep, like that that's I a viral I've video. Seen. I thought that was cool. Only because sometimes people will post that on social media. But that's what a viral video is. So. I know what it is. I just don't have any favorites. <laughs> There's the, what's his name? Bit my finger. Nothing? Mm-mm. Oh, Krista. You're killing me. I'm trying to spend less time online. The, the leave Brittany alone. I've seen that. Okay, like that's a viral Sure, video. yeah. See, that's the sort of stuff where I'm like, ugh. Just not a fan? No. We'll go with your keyboard cat. Okay. That I can get behind. I love behind. keyboard cat. My favorite, and it's just because I know it's my favorite because I constantly watch it because... It's just, a dance one? No. Oh, okay. This is the one where it's like a grade school production of the movie Scarface. <laughs> That's great. Did you ever see that? No. It is so good. So you're going to post it on the yes. Facebook page? Okay. But for the longest time, people were like pissed because they thought like a school, elementary school legitimately did this. Uh. You know, because that movie is filthy. Oh, it is. There's F bombs, and, and, and this one yeah. has the the boy, <laughs> and it never fails to crack me up. That in the movie, it, it's Al Pacino sitting there with this big pile of cocaine, mm-hmm. and in this elementary school production, it's this boy sitting there with a big pile of popcorn on the desk, <laughs> nice. and everything is fudge this, fudge you, <laughs> and yeah. it's just like people were so mad mm-hmm. thinking that this was a legitimate thing. 
and people like were trying to track down what this was all about. And it turned out that it was some filmmaker that wanted to put this out to want to annoy people with thinking that there was literally that a school actually did oh, this. So mission accomplished. Yeah. That's what he and wanted. It's, it's just so funny, funny and it's so well done. It just mm. blows me away. And I literally watch it like once a week just because I love it. Mm. And uh, that's why I say. Oh, I actually thought of one. What? Have you seen the guy? <laughs> I think he's a dad and he wears like a Batman do you know what I'm talking no. about? I can't. Even, it's like I sort of super do. Vague. I sort yeah. I sort of do. And all he will do is talk like in a Batman voice, and his wife is just like trying to do normal stuff around the house, and it's really really funny. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'll I do. find that. It sounds and I'll super post familiar, that. and I'll post mine. Okay, I had one. See, I had one. And there's the, the, like the I'm little so girl old. in this video is so cute. The one that plays like his girlfriend in the mm. movie, and she, she says. I'm leaving you, mother fudger. And like everything is fudge. <laughs> and at the end when he shot and everything, the audience is clapping and it looks so good. Like I just can't get over how good the guy did with this. And it's so cute huh. and so inappropriate and it's just awesome. So that's my favorite is the elementary school production of Scarface. All right. So I'll post that in the group. Other Mine's ones, Batman he, I always love Keyboard Cat though. Keyboard Cat is so cute. Yeah. So okay. yeah, interesting question. Mm-hmm. Do you have a song? I don't. Just pick one. It it becomes more and more difficult. It does. I actually do have one. Even though I listen to a lot of music. Should I do mine first? Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> I need time to think. <laughs> Not like I had like a whole Mine episode. is, like a couple years ago, I never would have thought that I would like trance music. Mm-hmm. And this one is like, is like, I don't know. I don't know what the difference between EDM and trance and dancey rave music but this mm-hmm. is just like kind of a bouncy like trance song okay but it's really good and it is there's there's um playlists on youtube of like an hour's worth of trance like female vocal trance music and mm-hmm. my i got rid of cable so i have an antenna digital antenna which only works half the time so sometimes i have no tv channels coming in so i have alexa play this this youtube thing and the song that I'm going to pick is so, so good. I was listening to it on the way here, actually. It is called Never Cry Again, and it is by Dash Berlin. It is a trance, techno-y kind of song. Okay. But I love the girl's vocals. I love, love, love the vocals in there. And it's not completely like dance, dance, dance. It's like slower, and it's 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 just such a good song. And it's mm. called Never Cry Again, and it's by Dash Berlin. Okay. And it's, it's my... It's my current song that I just love and can't get enough of, so I'll post that in the group. Okay. It's probably a midlife crisis I'm going through that I'm listening to all this dance stuff, but... <laughs> a midlife crisis. That's funny. It's a late life crisis I at this point. I used to listen to a lot of like drum and bass and, uh, and I never really jungle did. music. I never really did. Mm. Yeah. We've, we went to raves and stuff when we were in our early 20s. <laughs> I never went to a rave. A lot of my... A lot of our friends are like DJs, like turntables and techno music. Well, yeah, you were taking DMT and drinking that (laughs) Ayahuasca tea or whatever that was. Oh, that's funny. Um, I'm struggling. Never knew you were such a dope fiend. I'm actually going to go with a Beatles song, Eleanor Rigby. Eleanor Rigby is a good song. I adore that song. There's something so like sad and lonely about it. I mean, obviously the lyrics. Yeah, Eleanor Rigby is a good song. It really is. It's... Yeah, I, I love that era of their music. It's so good. 
but yeah, I'm going to go with Eleanor Rigby. You know what? We talked about this on here. I'm not a fan of early Beatles, but I love later Beatles. Yeah, like the I want to hold your hand stuff? No. Like I love Sgt. Pepper. Anything Mm -hmm. off Sgt. Pepper. Even the White Album is so good. And I think it's a lot of people, it's really underrated. There's like, Mm. there's like some really good stuff on there, but then there's some filler like Revolution 9, which Mm. is just weird. Mm Mm-hmm. But there's some really good stuff like Martha, my dear, is so good and Mother Nature's son. But yeah, totally on board with Eleanor Rigby. Cool. All right. Cool. Sweet. Krista wants to get done because she wants to eat. I'm freezing actually. She's that's cold like the and thing she's hungry. Dominating me is how cold I am right now. <laughs> <laughs> we we the we have a a power strip that I have a bunch of stuff plugged into and it went out in the middle of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> So I had it, to unplug the space I said heater. it would have been more interesting if it went out during the electronic surveillance yeah, episode where, yeah. the, where it was like, they were like, nope, we had enough of you talking about that. Pull mm-hmm. the plug. Literally. But yeah, all of a sudden, everything cut out halfway through our episode. So. And now I have the heater off and I'm freezing. So there you go. Near-death experiences. What do you think? Let us know. And... To let us know, you can email us at thestrangesessions at gmail.com. Nice segue. We are on Twitter at strange session without the S. We are on Instagram where Krista is just so good at the strange <laughs> sessions. You can send us postcards. Never tell if you're serious about that. No, because you really do a good job of monitoring I that. barely do anything. <laughs> Whatever. Give yourself more credit, girl. The strange, so you can send us postcards or snail mail or items you want us to eat at the strange sessions, P.O. Box 434, Manitowoc, Wisconsin, 54221-0434. And you can call and leave us a message on our phone line at 920-443-9602. So there you go. Krista's futzing around on her phone. I am. We just had one of those moments. A new follower, GD Doe, commented on what I posted, said, Oh my God, I got followed back, question mark, exclamation part. You know, she's freaking out and there's all these crying emojis because <laughs> I followed her back. Yes, because we lead mm-hmm. such busy lives. Chris and I actually got to get on it. We got to get on a jet right jet. now. We got to get on a jet. We're yep. flying to Washington where we are doing a Washington. show, oh, an autograph like session. The um, state of Washington? Yes. Pacific and we're doing Northwest. an autograph session. Some lucky winner will get to have dinner with us. Yes. And we're going to look for Bigfoot while we're all and, there. Yeah. All today. Hello. So it's going to be a busy day. Yeah. And we'll be back tonight. No, really, I'm going to go home and edit this and then lay on my couch in my pajamas and watch Psych. That's my plans for the day. Might go out for lunch. That's pretty much it. And make pizza for dinner. That's, That's too much. I'm not, I'm not on board with that. So you guys can do that. So <laughs> Too much excitement. Too much excitement. So I think that's it for this time. Yeah. So. I feel like we got a lot in today. Yeah. Like I said, I'm tired from this. This was a long day. I'm too. I'm exhausted. So. From our still unnamed studio, we'll have a name before the next episode. Hopefully. Until we're sitting here and it's like, oh, we forgot a name. But we still try. Remind us to come up with a name. You guys are really good at reminding us stuff. We need an intern. Come on. So until next time, from Krista's basement, which I think is warm, but she thinks is chilly. Until next time, stay Stay strange. strange.